sort of this period in life, I think a lot of you have experienced friendship weirdness. I don't know what else to call it. Um, Friendship trouble. We might just call it like, what just happened? You've had that uh, best friend, that person that you thought was just your really, really good friend. And then all of a sudden, you're just, you're just not. That, that time comes and there's this weirdness, this, this tension. Anybody have a best friend in here this morning? Not to put you on the spot, but like, and they would also say that you're their best friend, just to make sure we're under. Yeah, if you're a best friend, if you and your best friend are here, we just stand up just for a second, just really quick. I'm not going to make you do anything. You two right here are best friends? Yeah, best friends? Wow, really? Way more best friends than I thought there were going to be. There's a, all right, you can sit down. A lot of best friends in here. Um, you know, we kind of saw it on the stage just a, a minute ago with those two girls playing rock, paper, scissors. They were just in each other's head. Like they could do the same rock and both rock, both, pay, both They could do that all day. That's kind of what it's like with that best friend. You just, you just get that person, right? You understand them. You can almost communicate to them without talking. Like you just get them and they get you. And that's what makes having that best friend so fun. And, and I, I hope that doesn't happen to any of our best friends in this room, but it does happen from time to time. You have that close relationship and then out of nowhere, split skis. All of a sudden you're just, you're just not as close as you used to be. Something changes. No one really knows what happens, but it does. And something's way off and you're not sure what to do. You're not sure what happened. It's frustrating and it's sad. And that relationship that once brought you such joy and happiness that was such a a fun friendship for you is now this source of frustration and hurt. There's a lack of connection. This gap now exists between you where there once wasn't. And there's some distance. Again, joy is turned to frustration. So some of you feel that way. Maybe you've experienced that. You, you feel that way when that friendship goes, goes sour. You weren't expecting it. Maybe you feel that way just kind of wishing that you had a friend like that. You've, you've never had a close friendship, but you'd love to, to have one. You, you'd love to be able to stand up in junior high and say, best friend right here. But you don't have that. And that desire to feel connected and that disconnection that you feel from the people that you want to be close to is making it hard for you to be joyful, making it difficult for you to be happy. So here's the thing. That's not only true in our relationships with one another, our relationships with that best friend person, that distance makes it harder for us to be joyful. It's also very true when it comes to our relationship with God. When our relationship with the Lord isn't what it should be, when there's distance, then I can promise you, you guys, you're not going to have the joy that you're meant to have. You're not going to have the happiness 
that God wants you to have. And, and that's a big problem as we've been studying in Philippians chapter 3 because joy is something that God wants us to have. And again, I know our, our, our new 7th graders are with us and you haven't, you haven't been here these last weeks as we've gone through chapter 3 and now into chapter 4, but let me just catch you up. Let me try to help you guys understand and, and kind of a reminder for the 8th graders uh, Christians are supposed to be joyful. We're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be content. We're supposed to be satisfied. But here's the catch. That joy isn't because we're awesome. <laughs> that joy isn't because our circumstances are great. That joy and that happiness and that contentment comes because of Jesus, because Jesus is awesome, because of what he's done and because of our relationship with him. If you're truly saved, if you've Put your faith in, in Christ and his, his death on the cross to pay for your sin. If that's true of you, if you believe that, God loved you so much that he was willing to send his son Jesus to pay your debt. If, if that's you, then you're a believer. You're, you're a Christian. You believe that Christ came to, to restore your relationship with God. And if that's you, every Christian, including junior high-aged ones, you're called to be happy, to be joyful, to rejoice in the Lord. You'll see that in Philippians 3, verse 1. Paul says, finally, rejoice in the Lord. He says it again in chapter 4, verse 4. Actually, there he says it twice. Listen, without Christ, here's the point. Everyone who's ever lived, Everyone who's ever existed has had an impossible time trying to find a joy and a happiness and a contentment that actually lasts. Without Christ, they just keep chasing stuff, looking for stuff, try to give them that joy. And maybe they have it for a few minutes or maybe a few days or a few months, but eventually it goes, it fades and so Paul's talking about the joy, bless you, Paul's talking about the joy that we're supposed to have in Christ. And this joy is one that we can have, and it's not dependent on our circumstances. It doesn't matter if we're having a good day or a bad day, if everything's going right or horrible, we can rejoice because of the Lord, because our relationship with Christ is what it should be. As a Christian who knows the truth, and loves the truth. Your life is meant to be one of joy and peace and stability and security. And here's why. Again, because Jesus and he, because of Jesus and his gospel. You have joy because of what Christ did for you. This is what Paul starts to get into in chapter 3. Actually, verse 3, he's, Paul says he doesn't have confidence in himself. He only has confidence in Christ, confidence in what Jesus has done for him. And in fact, the stuff that Paul might say is something that God would like, something that might earn him favor with God. He says that stuff's about as valuable as the contents of a garbage can. He's, he's not putting like stock in that stuff. It's not about what he's doing. Look at verse 7. He says, whatever gain I had, uh, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as, as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So we learn from Paul why he's instructing these believers to have such joy in the Lord. 
And we get to say the same thing if we're a Christian. We have joy because we can say we know Christ. And get this, we know him as Lord. We have joy because we're saved. We have joy because Jesus is our Lord and Jesus is our Savior. That's massive. So the Christian's joy, again, it's not about circumstances. It's about our standing before God. And because of that, our joy is to be permanent and fixed because our salvation's that way. Our salvation is permanent and fixed. So through Paul's letter, we know that God has to tell Christians to fight for this kind of joy. As believers, we have to guard our joy because there are numerous things that are constantly attacking it. So many things that are trying to to mute that joy. What would that be? Well, first 11 verses of chapter 3, anything that diminishes Christ, anything that makes you bigger and better and greater and makes Christ just diminished, anything that makes you doubt his power to save, anything that makes you say, yeah, Jesus is great, but you know, I got to help a little bit here too in my salvation. Paul warned about that in those first 11 verses, trying to help the Philippians and, and us understand, no, 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 Jesus is enough. You don't need anything else besides his gospel. His power is enough to save you. His power is enough to help you grow in your faith. His power is enough to keep you to the day that you meet him face to face. You don't need anything else. And that's an amazing truth. And that truth alone gives us joy. And you can see how if we don't think right about that, how our joy might start to be dependent on us. Maybe I got to do something more here. Maybe I got to give some more effort here. No, Christ is enough. So we guard our truth by, or we guard our joy by knowing the truth of how we're saved, knowing as much as we can about our Savior. But Christians also need to think right about their sin. That's what Paul talks about in verses 12 to 16 of chapter 3. Got to think right about our sin. And if we don't, our life's not going to have the kind of joy that we're meant to have. Sin in a young Christian's life, it's just going to wreak havoc in every Christian's life. But especially a new Christian, a young Christian, an immature Christian, sin has a terrible side effect. And often it leads a young believer to to lose that assurance that they actually are saved. They begin to doubt their salvation. They begin to think, well, maybe I'm not saved. And cause you to doubt what God's done in your life. It can stunt your spiritual growth just kind of keep you frozen where you're at in your spiritual walk. So Paul instructs these believers how to, how to have this joy and guard that joy by thinking right about sin and making sure that when, they, when they're confronted by sin in their life, that they know how to grow spiritually, that they know how to confess that sin and, and begin to fight against it growing in their walk with the Lord. Now, listen, those aren't the only two things that can leave a Christian joyless. Christians are to guard against worldliness as well. That's verse 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. That's what Paul talks about there, worldliness. And as Christians, we need to know that we can't let our hearts be infatuated with the world. Say it that way. This world is full, listen, of of joy substitutes. Our world 
offers you these joy phonies. Things that look like they'll give us joy. Things that look like, no, 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 if I could get that, if I could attain that, that status or have that possession, I'll be happy forever. And the world keeps offering you those things and keeps dangling those things in front of you, trying to get you to let your heart be infatuated with something besides God. Of course, we know that that stuff's not going to do that. God tells us only he can satisfy, only he can give us a joy that will last. So God instructs us here through Philippians to guard against worldliness, to make sure our hearts aren't captivated by this world. We're to remember that we belong in heaven with God. Our citizenship isn't here. This isn't where we ultimately belong. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy those common graces that this life offers, but it does mean that we can't let those things compete with our love and our affection for God. So you can love sports, you can love music, you can love your family, you can have hobbies and interests and all that stuff. It's just that that can never take the place of God. Those things can never begin to crowd out the love and worship that you're meant to have for God alone. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. He's trying to help his disciples understand this very point. You can't serve two masters For he's either going to hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. And you could put something else in that place of money. Jesus is trying to help his disciples and us understand. You can have other interests and other things. They just can't be a master. You can't let it be number one. And if it starts to creep in there, you're going to begin to hate God and love that thing instead. So we have to be on guard against worldliness. It's going gonna, it's gonna to steal our joy that we're meant to have in God alone. And one more little thought before we get to our passage this morning, not just worldliness, but also worry. Worry in our life. Worry about every little thing. Anxiety about the future, tomorrow, the events, the test, the thing. Whatever it is, that worry, that anxiety, even as a Christian, we can't let our hearts be dominated by those things. And Paul's saying, listen, if you do, it's, it's a guaranteed way to not have the joy that you're meant to have. That's why he says that again in chapter 4, verse 4. He's saying, don't forget what this is about. Rejoice in the Lord. You don't need to worry. Rejoice. I say again, you don't need to be anxious about that stuff. Your God, your Savior is in control. So rather than worry, he instructs the Philippians to just pray about everything. Make sure their relationships with each other are right and make sure their relationship with God is as it should be. Pray about everything and then this great promise that our hearts will be guarded by God's peace. So I know all that's a lot, but here's the thing. All of that is It's building to our two verses this morning. All of this is connected to our text this morning, verses 8 and 9. Christians are to rejoice in the Lord. And there are numerous things Paul's trying to help us see that can steal that joy, that can diminish the joy that we should have if we're truly saved. Paul has just one more for us. In fact, it's really his, his summary, it's his, it's his finale, if you will, this grand finale. Most of us know that 
the loss of joy that comes when our relationship with someone else grows distant. Most of us have experienced that to some degree. The loss of joy when there's distance in my relationship, but there's also an absence of joy when we're distant from God. That's the joy that Paul's so worried about in our lives. New believers can feel this way and believers who've been saved for decades can also feel like that sometimes that that God is distant. Where is God? You begin to question that and think that. It's a big problem when you feel distant from God and I believe Paul saves his best for last here. Nothing will rob you of joy quicker than when you feel distant from God, and maybe that's how you're feeling this morning. Maybe you're thinking that, God, you feel distant. Maybe you're just wondering, is it, is it you? Like, did, I, did you do something wrong? Is it, is it God? Is he mad at you? Well, what's happening? What's going on? So what do we do when we feel that way? How does a 13-year-old Christian respond when they feel distant from God and they, they want to get back the joy that they're losing? Well, well, that question, that's, that's the very question Paul wants to answer in our text this morning. So our big idea, and that was a long introduction, we'll go faster, but I wanted to help you see all that. Our big idea for us this morning is really this, thinking right and living accordingly will keep you close to God. Um, actually, I changed it, yeah. A Christian's joy will be much greater when God is close. Christian's joy will be much greater when God is close. Okay, let's read our text. Let's read our text together and see what Paul has to say about this. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul is is bringing this really helpful part of his letter, this masterpiece of a letter to a close here. And to make his final appeal to rejoicing in the Lord, he gives us these two phrases. And I just, I want to highlight them for you. Verse eight, think about these things there at the end. And then in verse nine, practice these things. We're just going to let that be our outline for us this morning. Think about these things, practice these things. And just to kind of help you see that, we'll, we'll just say number one, how does a you know, Christians stay close to God. Well, let's just say this, think right. God will be closest to you when you're thinking right, verse 8. Again, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, all that stuff, he just says, you need to think about this stuff. You need to think about these things. What are, what's Paul getting at? It's this. Christians are to fill their minds with the right stuff, okay? It matters. We can't just think about whatever we want. That's really dangerous. And even as a, we become a Christian, especially for a lot of you who are, are, are new to your faith, uh, there's, there's important instruction for us. The Bible directs us to be 
transformed by the renewal of our minds. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. We grow by starting to change the way that we think, the stuff that we think about. God even tells us in his word in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2, to set our minds, to fix our minds, the stuff that we think about, to fix it on things above. So here in verse 8 of Philippians 4, I think Paul is just specifically telling us what to think about. What is it to think about things above? Here's the list. Here's a great grid to think through. Here's a perfect filter, if you will, or like a strainer of, of, of what to think through. You guys know what a strainer is? Everybody made mac and cheese? Anybody, you've done that? Just raise a hand if you've made mac and cheese. I just got to make sure we guys have good parents. Strainer, you've made it. The noodles, the boiling water, you do the seven and a half minutes, it's done, you're starving, but you got to get that water out of there. So you throw it through the strainer. The strainer lets the water pass right through. Same thing with a filter. Just getting rid of the stuff that we don't want. That's exactly what this list is for us. It's a strainer, a filter for the way that we think. Yeah? We need to let our thoughts run through this strainer here in verse 8. If whatever we're going to think about runs through this grid, then notice what won't stick. Anything that's not true, it's just, it's going to go. Anything that's not honorable, anything that's unjust or impure or unlovely or disgraceful or mediocre, unexceptional, anything that's not worthy of praise, all that stuff's just going to pass right through. We're not going to think about those things. That's precisely what we need. We fill our mind to the brim with truth, with God's word. That list is just descriptive of the word of God. It's helping us to know that that book in your, in your hand, this book is the only source of truth. This holy scripture that we have, it's the only thing not affected and ruined by sin. So we need to put God's word into our minds as much as we can and then actually think about it. And what is that? What does Paul mean to think about these things? Well, God wants us to not only look at it and read God's word and study it, but to just like work it over, look at it from every angle. And here's just, I just want to help you. Here's some questions that you could jot down as you read the Bible to help you think about it instead of just mindlessly reading it, okay? Here's some questions. What does this mean to me personally? I might be reading a few verses or a whole chapter or whatever, but I should ask, what does that mean to me? Like, what, what is God saying to me? Here's another question. What does it say about God? Is there anything here in this text that helps me understand God a little better, a little clearer, seeing him in a better way? Is there anything in this text that says something about me, about my life, about my life as somebody without Christ or with Christ? What's here to help me understand what this is saying? Here's another question. Is there a command in this particular set of verses I might be reading. 
something that I'm supposed to obey? Is there instruction, a, a principle for me to put into my life? Is there something that helps me live honorably or, or just helps me avoid sin? That's all kind of one thing. Is, is there a command? We need to think about how to put that truth into practice. So ask yourself, as you're reading this and thinking about this, what would it look like if I did what God's word was asking me to do here? How would my life change? What would need to change? What warnings are there for me and what would happen if I just ignored them? What would be the consequences if I just took this page and right out of my Bible? Not going to do that. It's a great way for you to think about and try to understand what's here. Is it changing the way you think about God? Is it changing the way you think about yourself? We learned just last Wednesday night from 2 Timothy 3 how important God's word is, how we need it, how we have to continue learning it. God gave us what he intended us to have. He gave us everything that we need. He put it in a book so we'd have it and we could read it and think about it and study it and learn from it. So I just gave you a handful of questions. You could add so many other questions to that. Develop your own list of questions as you read God's word, as you try to fill your mind to the tippy top with this truth. Why is this so crucial? Why does Paul have to tell the Philippians to do this? Why, does, why do you think God has to tell us to, to think about these things? I think you already know the answer. It's because it just doesn't happen naturally, does it? We have to be told to do this because we're just not going to normally choose to think about this. It's just not what we do. It doesn't mean that we're thinking about pure evil all the time, but it does mean that we have to work and have a plan to think about that which God wants us to think about. We, we have to have a plan. You have to know like, hey, you know, this week, this is, these are the times that I'm going to be in the word. I'm going to try hard to do that. If you don't have a plan, I promise you, you're not, you're not doing that. Not on your own. This right way of thinking, young people, listen, it's not going to come looking for you. It's not going to come naturally. You have to have a plan. You have to work on it. You have to purposely fill your mind with God's word. So just a question to write in your notes. What's my plan? Two question marks. What's my plan? God wants us to think about these things. He wants us to think about truth. And here's the thing. He, he wants us to think right. He also wants us, number two, to live right, verse nine. This is the practice these things. This is the live accordingly part. Look at verse nine. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So the Philippians had learned and received from Paul some pretty incredible Pretty insightful direction already. He instructed them in the truth of the gospel for sure. He instructed them on what it is to be a Christian. Hey, this is how you live as a Christian. He gave them some awesome instruction on how to live like that. His letter is just a reminder of so much of what he had already taught them in person. Maybe he wrote them a different letter. He says in verse 1, 
of chapter 3 to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, Paul said. He's just constantly teaching them and showing them the same stuff. So what does that mean for us? How are we supposed to think about that? Well, we have God's word. We, we, we have it preached and proclaimed to us a bunch every week, right? So much preaching, two sermons, sometimes three on a Sunday. Wednesday night, a, another sermon, Pastor Jay. Why so much preaching? Why? The answer is because we, we want you to learn the truth. We want you to receive the truth. Why? So that you can put it into practice. Same thing Paul wanted for these believers here at Philippi. Not just to fill your head with knowledge, but to affect the way you live. There's a connection there. We want you to learn and, and put it into practice. The whole plan is this. Set your minds on the right things so that your desires will be set on those things. Fill your mind with the right stuff so that you start to live that way. That's the whole point. Not enough just to know it. We have to think right about it. You and I need to learn God's word. We need to learn it and receive this truth so that we can put it into practice. That's why we need so much preaching. We just need it taught to us. God's, God knows us really well <laughs> because every seven days he just insists that we be in a place where his word is taught. He calls us to be together in a church so that we have instruction, which means you can go about six days without it before you're in real need of it again. I love it. If the world is bombarding you with desires that are leading you away from God's intention for your life, then the reality is that we need to develop these godly desires and godly affections. We're going to have to think about what it is that's pleasing to God, but more than that, we're going to have to keep learning. You never get to a place where you're like, I've learned it all. I've got it all. Now Paul says, you got to keep learning. The stuff that you've learned, keep Keep learning got a desire to keep receiving the truth about God and the not-so-fun truth about ourselves and desire to keep learning his ways so that we can live our lives the way that he wants. So we practice what we have learned, what we receive from people who preach. So helpful for our lives. But verse 9 tells us that we also should put into practice what we have heard and what we have seen. And that's kind of a repeat point for Paul, but, but here's the whole thing. Living right's easier when we have an example in front of us. We have the right people to follow, and we follow them in the right direction. That's really important for the Christian life. That's why God puts you not only in a church where there's plenty of people to follow. We have our ministry like this where there's so many leaders who are trying to help you follow in the right direction. God gives you pastors. Some of you in God's kindness come from a Christian home. God's given you godly parents to follow. What a blessing, what a gift that is that you know who to follow and, and to follow in the right direction. So the point is, it's not just enough for us to download sermons and be you know, on our own all the time. We, we have to see the truth lived out. So much easier for us to to live that way when we can say, oh, I see it. I see how that person's living and I get it and I want to do that. I want to follow them. 
So we need discipleship. We need spiritual leadership. We need pastors. We need mentors. We need each other to help with accountability and to give us a little bit of correction uh, when we need it. We need other believers to show us how to do this, to teach us how to apply the Bible, to teach us how to pray. We need believers to model a life that honors Christ. We need people to show us what forgiveness looks like. We need examples of people to show us how to serve and serve the Lord well. On and on we we could go, but the point is that we just need the right examples. We need to be following the right people. So practice these things. Live accordingly. It's just... It's a word that means you, you got to be a doer. You got to be somebody who's doing it. Paul said, I want you to do what you've learned. I want you to do what you've received. I want you to do what you've heard. What, I want you to do what you've seen. And, and it's not just a one-time thing either. This is continual. It's over and over. It's not just one time, but it's all your days from now until you're with Christ. Do it. Nike got it right, I guess. Just do it. Just like anything new, we have to practice. We have to keep working at it. It's not going to be perfect that first time. That doesn't happen. We have to work hard at it. We have to learn some stuff. Pick a thing that you've learned how to do recently, an instrument or a sport or, I don't know, some new math or something. I just think math is hard. So that's why I chose that. You're just going to fail a bunch, right? Picking something new, it's just days and weeks and months and sometimes years of just failing. I'm going to get up and I'm going to try again. I'm going to fall and I'm going to fail and I'm going to try again. But along the way, what is it? We, we, We see that we're getting a little bit better. We're starting to figure it out. So it is with this amazing spiritual truth. Put, putting this truth into practice, difficult at first, lots of failure, but we keep working, keep practicing, keep trying to live right. You may be wondering, what does any of that have to do with being close to God? What, what does this have to do with my joy as a Christian? Where, where is that connection? How, let me just show you how this section ends with an amazing promise. Two weeks ago, Paul gave us some instruction. You'd see it in verse seven. He he ends with this promise of the peace of God. Well, just his style, more instruction and now another promise. But this time it's not the peace of God, but the God of peace that's promised. The God of peace will be with you. See that at the end of verse nine? If you think right, and you live right, God will not be distant. If you think right, and you live right, you live accordingly, it's going to be impossible for you to feel distant from God. If you want to grow closer in your relationship with God, this this is how you do it. If you want to guard the joy that you're meant to have as a believer, then you think about these things and you practice these things right here. And if you'll do that, the God of peace will be with you. He'll be near you. Just like James says, submit yourselves to God, draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. 
junior hires, there's just no better way to draw near to God than this. There's, there it is, short and, and, and sweet. No better way for you to feel close and connected to God than by thinking about his truth, living accordingly. Let me just remind you too that that relationship has to exist in the first place. What we're talking about this morning, that's not the gospel. That's what to do after salvation. If you're not saved, it's the God of peace that you are so desperately in need of. It's the God of peace that you need to call out to for salvation this morning. Isaiah 9, 6, all in with this says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is Jesus. He's the God of peace. He's the one come to give your life peace and joy to bring a peace back to a relationship that's broken by sin. That's, that's our God of peace. And that's the peace that's available today. You don't have to stay distant with God. My prayer is that you would call out to him even today for salvation and restore that relationship. The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'm praying that you will. Father, thank you for our time this morning in your word, God. What a great series it's been here in Philippians. We're thankful for the lessons we've learned about the joy that you give, that only you give. God, if we are believers, I I just would pray that you'd help us not only to see how we need to guard our lives for this joy, God, to, to insist on the joy that we're supposed to have, to protect ourselves from those things that would steal our joy, But God, I'm also gonna pray that you'd help us to demonstrate that joy better than we do. That we would showcase to other people who don't know you how great it is to be a Christian. The joy that we have in our lives that doesn't fluctuate when we're having a bad day, but the joy that we have that's secure because of you. Father, thank you for this this morning. I pray for us as we head to second hour as well, God, that you keep us, that you teach us. Lord, and continue to write your truth on our hearts. Pray in Christ's name, amen.